Hi, my name is Felix Krüger and I'm your host. If this is your first time tuning into the State of Sales Enablement podcast, welcome and thanks for your support. If you work closely with the B2B enterprise sales team in your role, make sure to check out the free on-demand training provided by Kruger Marketing, my business and the sponsor of this podcast. The training breaks down the steps required to shorten sales cycles with the effective use of content. To access the free training session, visit thisstateofsalesenablement.com slash content. That's thisstateofsalesenablement.com slash content. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. My guest in today's episode is commonly referred to as the godfather of content marketing. As the co-founder of the Content Marketing Institute, he has transformed the way the global marketing community thinks about content. He's also a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and his charity work has impacted the lives of children all around the United States. Today, we speak to Joe Polizzi. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today, Joe. Oh, it's my pleasure. We haven't talked for a while, so it'll be nice to talk on a podcast. That's right. You're famous in the marketing space, but for those listeners who don't know you, who is Joe Polizzi and what has been your career journey so far? That's the question I'm trying to figure out. Who the heck is Joe Polizzi? <laughs> I started in publishing media, business to business side, over 20 years ago now. Got an itch to start a business in 2007. That business became Content Marketing Institute. In 2010, 2011, we launched Content Marketing World, which became the largest in-person event in the world around content marketing. Stayed in the business until 2008, 2017. My wife and I sold the business to a wonderful company, UBM, and now Informa, one of the largest event producers in the world. They've taken great care of Content Marketing Institute. In 2018, I went on a sabbatical. I wrote a mystery thriller novel in 2019, 2020, and now I'm sort of back in the mix. I've got a new book coming out in May, my second version of Content Inc., which is focused on the digital content business model for entrepreneurs and super passion of mine. And I got a newsletter, podcast, all that kind of stuff, just trying to spread the good news about content marketing specifically for smaller companies. But I've also worked with bigger companies for a long, long time. That's right. I've been following your work for a while. You're pretty much the first real household name that popped up when content marketing really emerged. So yeah, really happy to have you on today. I got lucky because we called it. <laughs> Nobody was calling it content marketing. As you know this, when you start a business, there's a lot of luck involved. Getting that phrase right was one of the pieces. All about the timing. It's the same pretty much with sales enablement. Like sales enablement has emerged so much as a term that people use, but there has been so much sales enablement going on previously, especially in my roles at publishers. It was mm -hmm. all about sales enablement and supporting the sales team with content and giving them the tools to actually really effectively engage their buyers. So it's not always the label that you put on it. And once you have a label that everybody can identify with, it really starts growing. Absolutely. That's so true. I mean, from your point of view, in the B2B content marketing space, and specifically in the technology space, have you observed any trends over the last few years? Well, there's a couple trends going on right now. What's interesting is, especially with, well, the whole world sort of involved in what some of these social media companies are doing, blocking certain accounts for whatever their terms and conditions rules are. I'm not going to get into the politics behind it because it doesn't matter to B2B tech companies. What does matter is that I work with and you know you work with a lot of companies that have large social media followings on these platforms 
And what this has reminded us of is that we don't control those connections. We don't control access to those people that follow us, that fan us, that subscribe to our channels on YouTube. Those big tech companies do. Now, I have no problem in having those channels and building content followings, but you have to remember that's rented land. You don't own anything. They can kick you out. They can change the algorithm at any point. So the big trend to answer your question is you've got a lot of B2B tech companies that are saying, we better move to email. We better move to a membership model. We better have direct connection with our audience because we can't count on these social media properties to deal with it. So that's one. I love that move, by the way, because we've always talked about, look, there's no problem with building an audience on these smaller platforms, social media platforms, but you got to move it up the chain because at the end of the day, we want that direct connection in that database. The second thing, and we could talk about this as much or as little as you want, but you're starting to see a lot of B2B companies look at purchasing media properties, purchasing media properties, influencer sites, YouTube channels, the influencer getting them. You've seen Spotify purchase the rights to Joe Rogan's podcast, the largest podcast in the world, as far as I can tell. And these things are really, really starting to happen. So I think for B2B tech company and content, you can actually make the case for a buy versus build scenario. Should we go out and buy it? Should we make a list? And should we go out and say, look, we were flush with cash. If you are great, you can go out and say, I'm going to purchase that podcast, purchase that email newsletter, purchase that web property, purchase that print magazine, or Spend the time you need to, as you know, you got to be patient. You got to deliver consistent content, build an audience over time. Either way is fine. I love organically doing it, but some people want to say, look, I don't want to wait three years for really good results. I want results now. And in that case, B2B tech companies are going out there and buying. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting what you say about email, especially in the enterprise technology space. That's obviously always has been a focus because the whole sales cycle and marketing working hand in hand with sales has always been about engaging customers directly in a personalized matter and more often than not by email, right? So I think that mentality has always existed in that space. So in a way, the B2B enterprise space has always been on the forefront on that trend. Well, I think that's where, to your point, B2B might have an advantage over consumer side in this case, because we've always looked at the CRM system. We've always had to make sure we had the primary key of the email. How do we get that email? We get the email a lot of ways, but in many cases, they're subscribing to some kind of piece of content, a white paper, a webinar, an email newsletter that starts them into the buyer's journey or the sales journey from the salesperson standpoint. And then you have an opportunity to convert that into a long-term customer, a new customer, whatever the case is, increase your yield on that customer, whatever the goal is. Yeah, exactly. In terms of the key principles of content marketing, what are some of the things that B2B sales team can really learn from these principles and the way they engage buyers? Well, first of all, the basic principles of content marketing aren't used by many B2B companies. Generally, what happens is a marketing department gets an idea around some content theme, say cloud computing, and they blast content in every channel they can possibly blast in social media, earned on whatever, anything they can. When the best way to do it is focus on one content type, is it audio, video, a textual image in one channel? Is that a going to do a podcast, an email newsletter, a webinar series event, and you deliver content to a specific audience over a long period of time, generally 12 months or more before you really see something happen. If you're going to build a content platform, that's what you would do. Now, if you're a sales leader, I would do the same thing instead of say, oh, well, I'm going to tinker with Twitter and I'm going to do a little bit on 
Facebook groups and LinkedIn, I would focus on being great at one. I know everybody in B2B says, oh, I'm going to do LinkedIn, but LinkedIn might not be the best opportunity for you, depending on what industry you're in. So you might say, look, I'm going to be a rock star content producer targeting the audience I want to target in Twitter or in this Facebook group or in this Discord server or this Slack community or this Reddit community, whatever it might be. So those are the things to keep in mind. I would focus on doing one thing really well as a salesperson to generate your own following and not just blast content everywhere you can. All about the focus, as yeah. always. I think the other thing that I always noticed as well is that mindset of content marketing of really helping the viewer and the person consuming the content and having that helpfulness and resource mindset first. That's really a difference to some of the salespeople that might not be so good at selling and really have that hardcore clothing mentality where it's just all about the transaction. That's also something else that I have noticed over time. Well, that's where the salesperson and we've talked about, we will talk about, I'm sure, about sales and marketing coming together. Well, that's the best way that sales and marketing can come together. If you're a salesperson, that marketing group should try to position you as an industry leader. Mm. Because if you are an industry leader, you will get more people to answer the phone. You'll get more people to answer your email. You will get more notoriety in the industry. More people will want to connect with you. It makes your job so much easier. I mean, when I, before started Content Marketing Institute, and by the way, just so people know, my number one job at CMI was sales. It was all about revenue creation. So I mean, even though I wrote a lot of articles, I was number one in charge of sales. It was much more difficult before I started writing and had some following to get yeah. sales calls. But once you start to build that following, oh, sales becomes so much easier. They will absolutely <laughs> respond to your email. It was like the floodgates open. I'm like, I gotta do more of this. So if any salesperson <laughs> listening to this, that's really, really core if you can figure that out and become an expert in whatever niche you can pick out. You don't have to boil the ocean with your content. Pick one small thing and be great at that. It will make a big difference. That's right. It helps being the godfather of content marketing if you want to close the sale. <laughs> it's a lot easier to get things done. I would never want to go back to the days when I was pounding the phones, man. It was really difficult. <laughs> I mean, if you look at B2B space these days, you'll probably struggle to find any organization that doesn't really practice content marketing. And at the same time, you have a dynamic where B2B marketing teams are working closer with sales than ever. There's much more of a synergy happening if you think about account-based marketing and sales enablement in general. What are some of the ways marketing teams can leverage existing content to support sales teams in the way they interact with prospects? Where I've seen the biggest breakdown is the fact that marketing, they're creating so much content. They're mm. creating content for employees. They're creating content for new prospects. They're creating content for current customers. You look at them and they look at a buyer's journey and they got content for nine or 10 different spaces in the buyer's journey, which is almost impossible mm. to do. So they're creating mm -hmm. tons of content. So what they end up doing is they end up sending some of that content in a very unorganized fashion to the sales team. And the sales team's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Give me a little bit more direction on what I'm supposed to do. I mean, we've worked with, and this happened just a few years ago, that the sales team didn't like any of the content that they were getting from the marketing. This is a very, very big B2B tech company. Didn't like any of the content they were getting. They actually hired their own agency. They hired their own outside agency <laughs> to create their own content so they wouldn't have to worry about the marketing team. I mean, 
How terrible is that happening? So what I like to see, this is a really good example. This was with Xerox. And what Xerox was doing, they had the same problem. They had content going all over the place. But what they did then is every week, every Friday, I think, they would end up sending a very simple email to the sales team with just three pieces of content. And some of it was new content, some of it was old content. But they said, here's the three key pieces of content this week. Underneath each one, they would say, here's how we would recommend using this piece of content. This one would really go well on your LinkedIn account. This one really goes well if you have to send a personal email note to XYZ customer. And that works. So it changed their whole dynamic because the sales team didn't know what to do before with all this content. Now they were being given some really good direction. At the same time, marketers were starting to think about how they can help sales instead of how they can directly talk to the customers, which that's really important. We want content going directly to the customers, but in a B2B environment, the salesperson's pretty darn important. So let's make sure we help the salesperson get closer to that customer and make that happen. And I love what Xerox did in that case. Yeah, absolutely. I love that email that you're talking about. It's such an effective way to stay top of mind and really get the attention of the sales team. The problem that happens, Felix, is most of the issues are internal. Like most of the time when content's not being used right from a sales enablement standpoint, it's because internal communication broke down. The sales team doesn't know how to use it. The marketing team doesn't know how to shape that content into a usable form for the sales team. Exactly. I mean, these days with the more mature organizations, you see really sophisticated tech tools emerging that use AI to recommend certain content in the CRM and so on. We're talking to the CMO, actually, of one of the tech vendors in that space this season of the podcast as well. But I think what you're talking about is something that B2B organizations could instantly pretty much implement. Yeah, talk to the sales team. Exactly. I mean, we used to be big fans. Like when I was on the marketing team in the publishing company, mm. we always said, if you are an editor or a marketer, go spend a day with your salesperson. Go yeah. on some yeah. calls, get into their shoes. And once you do, then you can come back and say, I get it right now. I get their day. I get how they sell. And you're right. It's much easier with the technology today, but sometimes we get lost in the tech and yeah. we really just need a very, very simple solution and say, look, just... Send them yeah. this and tell them how to use it. I could not agree more. So what are some of the examples of B2B tech companies that are innovating in the content marketing space? And what do you think they do differently from everybody else? Well, I think that we talked about a couple examples, but the one that I love, maybe my favorite B2B tech company is Aero Electronics. Mm. And Aero Electronics, they're a large electronics distribution company, I think Fortune 120 on the Fortune 500 list. And... What they ended up doing is they said, in order for us to really survive and grow and be innovative and sell all of our electronic solutions, we really need to become the leading experts in our individual niches that are out there. And they looked at it and they said, okay, well, how do we do this? Do we go and hire editors and content people and do e-newsletters and build websites? And do we build a media company? And they said, well, that's an option. And if we do that, it'll take a lot of investment. And it'll take a long time to get there. And they figured it would take years. Or they made a list and they went out and they started to purchase media properties. And I think at the end of the day, they purchased 49 or 50 different media properties. So if you asked me, Felix, if you said, who's the largest media company in the B2B electronics space? I'd say it's not a media company. 
it's Aero Electronics. So what they've been able to do here is they've been able to create maybe the best marketing of all time. And there are some church and state issues with an editorial standpoint here, don't get me wrong, but they're figuring that out. But they can talk directly to all their customers and prospects in the world. They have that database. It makes it so much easier for the sales team because they're already the leading experts in the world in those editorial media brands that they have. And at the same time, each one of those are profitable. They sell sponsorship, they generate revenue. So a lot of traditional media people hate this model. They're scared, they're like, who would do this? But they've actually gone out there, made the leap and said, we're gonna go out and buy those properties. And I think 2021 here, you've got a lot of B2B tech companies that are flush with a lot of cash. Mm. And you've got a lot of media companies that are struggling because advertising is struggling. I think one of the big trends you're gonna see in Aero Electronics is leading the way is, a lot of this purchasing that's going to happen. And we'll see how it goes, but I can absolutely see your B2B tech companies mm -hmm. just go on a shopping spree and make this thing happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen some of the bigger guys like Adobe building out their own properties, but if you have the deep pockets to match the ambition, that's obviously one way to cover a lot of ground in a very short amount of time. By the way, I mean, when I was at Content Marketing Institute, we acquired three small media properties, and some of these were five figures. We're talking about big multi-million dollar deals here, but for a lot of the smaller marketers and salespeople in this, some of these deals are very small. You actually have a lot of very desperate media companies out there that I've seen some deals that go for no money exchanged. So <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I've got the well, new book coming out in May and there's one in there that there's no money exchange. There's just some, yeah. you know, incur some debt and throw some things here and throw me some love over here. So you'd be <laughs> surprised how these deals are done. Wow, a great opportunity right there. So when it comes to actually creating useful B2B content, like market insights are obviously really important and B2B companies have traditionally done a lot of research to actually create content. But in terms of the way B2B marketers and sales enablement professionals go about sourcing better insights, what does the role customer facing teams play in that whole setup? I mean, with the crackdown or more regulation, the third party cookies issue that's going on in marketing right now, it's much, much harder to get data than ever before. So that's where first party data is king. And that means if you have an opt in email relationship with a customer, with an audience, you can get data directly from them that you probably can't get anywhere else. So that is a really, really strong position to be in from a competitive standpoint. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you listen to that customer on an ongoing basis. We call it setting up listening posts. Does that mean that you do ongoing surveys? We used to call them readership surveys. You can call them whatever you want, but we used to figure out what are their pain points? What's keeping them up at night? Since they're opt-in audience members and you're delivering a quality product to them, they probably will tell you. They probably will figure out the survey. From the marketer standpoint, we talked about this before. Are you talking to the sales team? Is the sales team talking directly to the customer about more than just, do you want to buy this from me? Are you talking yeah. about their challenges? And that's where I love the salesperson that has more of an editorial eye as well, that really can talk about those types of questions. Yes, it's the better way to sell. If you don't just have to be pitching product all the time, if you could talk about some of the issues, that means leverage that into social media as well and set up those listing posts, which is the best thing about social media is that you can hear directly what's going on with your customers. So if you get six or seven or eight of these points, these listing points, you can have a better idea of your buyer persona than anyone out there. And that's what the benefit comes in by having a loyal audience to be able to complete these things for you.
Yeah. I mean, if you're a marketer and you think about it, having teams like your sales team and the customer success team at your fingertips and you've got a relationship with them, suddenly you have, first of all, a distribution mechanism that is ultra-targeted. You mm -hmm. can pinpoint who's going to see the content and you can also determine the context of the way content is being distributed. Is it in a meeting? Is it just through an email? Is it through a social post and whatnot? And then at the same time, you've got this feedback channel also directly from the customer, from somebody who's got a relationship with that customer. I think those are some of the more often than not underestimated opportunities that are out there for marketers who are looking to create good content in the B2B space. Absolutely. I mean, I worked with a B2B tech company that they found out that it took seven pieces of quality content to be engaged with by their customer before a purchase is made. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this has yeah. something like that. For us, it was four at Content Marketing Institute. And mm -hmm. we knew mm -hmm. that if they were subscribed to the newsletter, if they read the blog on an ongoing basis, if they subscribed to the magazine, and if they listened to the podcast, they most likely were a buyer of our products and services. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. those are the types of things that you look at. So if you're a salesperson and you're like, why are we creating all this content? That's why you create yeah. a better customer or you create a customer that buys more or that stays longer or those types of things. You want to make sure the sales team's involved in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, LinkedIn has also recently run research around kind of the impact that the corona crisis has had on the whole B2B sales cycle. And almost half of all respondents in that survey had said that they expect the sales cycle length to increase, right? Which is obviously a killer for you sales pipeline and i think content especially if you're dealing with really long sales cycles and really complex buyer groups i mean some of the companies that i'm dealing with they have sales cycles of two years and there's yeah. a minimum of six decision makers or influencers involved throughout the buying process and that was before corona crisis right and then if you throw a global pandemic in the mix you can imagine what that sort of sales cycle looks like and that decision making process it becomes a bit of a mess if you're not able to really engage and educate buyers effectively you're absolutely right it's crazy but at the same time i just saw a couple of days ago the edelman trust barometer came out and media and trust in media just took a hit went yeah. way down and businesses went up who would have ever saw this company? The most trusted group yeah, yeah. of organizations is a business. That's what the huge opportunity is. People will actually want to opt in and accept your content and take it at face value over a media company, which is crazy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the world we live in right now. That's so right. That's run right. with it. <laughs> I remember when you ran Content Marketing Institute, you guys ran a whole lot of in-person events and you mentioned Content Marketing World in Cleveland, the biggest content marketing event in the world. But obviously, those face-to-face -face interactions and events have been completely wiped out by COVID-19 for most parts anyway. What are some of the trends that you've observed in the way good online events are hosted these days? And what are some of the principles that could be applied by sales reps to engage buyers remotely? Well, what's interesting, just from a macro standpoint, it's very, very hard to move the multi-sponsor event online. Very, very difficult. People do not want to spend time going into virtual booths and things like that. And I give event companies a lot of credit for trying these things, but we just haven't seen the payoff in people wanting to do that. They don't want to be sold. They want to learn or they want to network online and talk to other people. So that means if you're looking at the online event side from a B2B standpoint, you want to make sure you look at sole-sponsored webinars, still fantastic, still work great in the B2B setting, or if you are going to run your own event, 
you would run it as a sole sponsor or a small consortium, two, three companies, maybe you're non-competitive and do something like that and make that run. I would also say not a good thing to set up sales calls and things during educational events like that. I would set them up afterward, even before in some cases, but not during. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but the online atmosphere just doesn't fare as well as it does when you're at a physical event. Now that said, what are we at? We're early 2021 right now. I'm hopeful by the end of the year, we should start getting back to some normalcy with physical events. Now the budgets are gone. There's no way those budgets are coming, but those have to take a while to come back. So that's going to be probably 2023 till the budgets really come back and you actually see physical events, but they're going to probably come back completely different if I had to guess. But I would not be surprised if we saw huge B2B events come back because people want to see other people again. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a run on events. So 2023 might be an amazing year for physical events and salespeople being a part of those events. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I personally also noticed is in terms of the dynamic that you have at an in-person event, you have content and then you've got breaks where you can network and so on. So you always have that balance of consuming content and engaging with other people. And I think that is also the key for remote selling. Like nobody's going to sit through a 50 slide presentation, you know, without a break or any opportunity for interaction. That's the moment normally where the camera switches off and the microphone is switched off and somebody goes to make a tea. I think one of the main things to note in that whole remote selling space is that there's much more of a need for more targeted content, first of all, like that's really succinct and easily consumable. And then at the same time, like some sort of element of interaction, whether it's a short break within a presentation to pose a question to the people that you present to or some sort of interactive content that people can engage with. I totally agree with that. I think that we've become stuck in the B2B industry on the one hour webinar with 45 minutes of presentation time and 15 minutes Q&A. There's places and times for that, but I would look at more your 20 minute to 25 minute presentation and get right to questions or just do a half hour. I think people are more willing to do that, maybe a 15 minute presentation. And if you look at what's working in the consumer space, if you look at a online education platform like masterclass.com, masterclass, their sections, they've got the whole things about two hours for each one of the celebrities, but each one of those classes is like 10 minutes. And I think you're seeing more and more of that. And of course, B2B buyers or consumers, just like everyone else, I don't think we have to make it so long. I think that fits perfectly with what you're saying about you don't have to boil the ocean with your content. Focus on doing one thing and focusing on one area. 15, 20 minutes, do the Q&A and get out of there. That's right. And especially if you think about people working from home, it's often not only a challenge in terms of the attention span, but also all the distractions that they have to deal with. Toddlers screaming in the background, appointments. It just doesn't work like that. Well, you know, there's only like 20 minutes of good content in any of these webinars anyways. So just cut out all the intro stuff, cut out all the back stuff about how great somebody is and just give you 15 (laughs) minutes of good stuff and we're done. And then you've got a half hour back of your life. It's fantastic. Everybody's a winner, (laughs) especially in the beginning of the whole content marketing trend. I've seen you talk a lot about making the business case for content marketing and the need for cultural change that has to come with that within an organization. A lot of B2B organizations are now going through the change of closely aligning marketing and sales. 
especially if they deal with high value products and long sell cycles. So they gravitate towards that. In terms of the cultural change, what sort of advice would you give marketing leaders who want to drive cultural change within their organizations? What are some of the learnings that you've experienced, like in the way that you've driven that cultural change within organizations? Sure. That's a great question. It's probably the most important one that you're asking, actually, because in order to get some of this stuff done, you have to make sure the culture is there to execute on that and to believe in it. I'm a big fan. Uh, my mentor, Don Schultz, Don passed away about six months ago. He was the father of integrated marketing. He taught at Northwestern Medill School of Journalism in the States. And he always taught me, he said, before you do any external marketing, you first want to do internal marketing. You want to educate the people inside so they know about marketing, know what you're trying to do, know the goals. And then once you do that, then you can communicate with your customers. I wish we did that more as B2B companies. We just don't. But there's a lot of learnings from what you just said from your question. That's what we have to do. So if you're going to do any of these initiatives, if you want to bring sales and marketing together, you've got to communicate to them as a group, just like you would any other content marketing initiative. If you're going to drive content marketing into your organization as something you want to do, because by the way, this is a new muscle to most organizations. It's been around for a long time, but a lot of B2B companies don't know, oh, do we build an audience and how do we sell? It's a little bit different moving forward. So you want to make sure that you communicate that insight about how this works and it does take time. And what are we trying to communicate? We're trying to build an audience first. And from that audience, we're building customers or we're using it as R&D and building out new products and services. So whatever it is, and it doesn't have to take much. It could be short little emails from somebody in the C-level. It could be short, small meetings like we just talked about with our 15-minute webinar stuff. It could be an internal podcast to people. But it's important that that goes out and you teach them first. So whatever the overall goals are about how you're trying to take your culture to the next level, what you're trying to do, you should set that up as an internal content marketing initiative first. Give it three, six months, maybe nine months to work itself around, get people engaging in it, thinking about it, talking about it, probably in some kind of a online collaborative group like a Slack community or a Discord group or something like that. And then go do your thing. Give yourself some air cover for whatever on the outside you're going to do and make sure the people inside know what the heck's going on if you're going to go out and wage war. Absolutely. When I think back at my time in media, there was a time where mobile advertising was actually something you had to advocate for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember the team that was looking after mobile advertising did something really simple, which really drove that point home, especially to senior management. Getting the internal support and also getting everybody to buy into the concept was they were saying, here's what we achieved last week. Here's what we're going to do. And that's why we're doing it. And Good. that was basically the format that they followed over and over again. Send out one weekly email in that format. And you could see that people saw, okay, first of all, this is not just talk. This is not just some sort of buzzword that people are throwing around and then not doing anything with it. But it's actually something happening. And yeah. people could also see more or less in real time what the results were. So I think anybody who want to advocate for sales enablement within their organization and want to drive that change, that can be a really good way to do it. And the beauty about sales as well is that you obviously have the metrics, the really tangible metrics to see what is happening and what is working, what isn't. I think not taking advantage of that as a marketer would really be a missed opportunity. Yeah, you're right. It's all about communication, communicating with our customers. Communication is the one differentiation we have. That's how we're going to differentiate our brand. But if we're going to do it, spend some time inside the company first before you go ahead and launch something. It's a great point. That's right. And yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Joe, thank you so much for joining today. Where can people find you online? 
my website's probably the best way to go. Joe Polizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I.com. I've got a newsletter. I've got this old marketing podcast every Friday that goes out, covers the news of content marketing. The free thing I have, I created a free book called Corona Marketing. It's how marketers can survive this crazy pandemic we're in. If you go to coronamarketingbook.com, you can download it for free and get 13 tips on how to get through this mess so that we can be stronger on the other side. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Felix. Appreciate it. If your business is like 96% of all B2B companies selling remotely, chances are that your sales cycles have become longer and buyers less responsive since the pandemic started. The most successful B2B sales teams are able to reduce friction during long sales cycles by being strategic about the way they use content to engage and educate buyers. Kruger Marketing, the sponsor of this podcast, has developed a system called Content-Enabled Sales, which helps B2B enterprise sales teams to shorten the sales cycle length by strategically using content during the sales process. Listeners of this podcast gain free access to a training session that teaches you how to shorten the most complex B2B enterprise sales cycles with content. To view the on-demand training session, visit thestateofsalesenablement.com slash content. That's thestateofsalesenablement.com slash content.